comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Facebook, no Twitter, no smartphones, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Welcome to the Walking Dead TV podcast, episode 49. We are one episode away from our very big uh, anniversary, episode 50, which I know we've been planning uh, day and night for. This is John. I have with me Jordan, Jim, and Brad. Hello. It's good to be back. Hey, everybody. We're going to have a barn dance. I haven't been in on any planning for 50. Did y'all do it without me? That's the irony of it. There was oh, no planning. Oh, okay. We do, I just realized that 50 was coming up when I said 49, so that was all impromptu. Gotcha. So we have a pretty cool show for this evening. We have the Volume 2 of the Walking Dead trade paperbacks. So we're going to be playing a Legion of Dudes show where we recently covered issues 7 through 12 of the Walking Dead. But before we get into that, uh, we want to catch up on a couple of things. Jim, I think we have a new iTunes review, which is always fantastic. Absolutely. We really appreciate your iTunes reviews and your feedback. It's a, it's a great way to, to help us out and show your support for the show. We got a five-star review, uh, my favorite Walking Dead podcast by Hoctopus. And we were talking a little bit about this uh, before the show, guys. Uh, what a Hoctopus be an octopus with big hawk wings and a beak or or maybe a hawk with tentacles instead of wings what do you guys think google image search has provided me with several answers of which i've posted in our skype chat if you want to check those out but um either way it's not pretty i didn't realize octopus was a thing but i guess it is anyway he actually this one's pretty awesome uh wrote this podcast is full of great discussions with lots of interesting ideas thrown out there. You guys are helping me through the hiatus. Well, thank you very much, Octopus, and uh, your support is helping us through the hiatus as well as we gear up for the second half of the second season. Uh, we still have a little ways to go, and one of the ways we're going to pass the time is by uh, showing you through uh, the comic book here, issues 7 through 12 of Walking Dead, uh, the volume 2 of the trade paperback. You know, I just saw an inter- uh, interesting article the other day about um, The Walking Dead uh, taking up a lot of the, po- uh, the top slots on the New York Times bestseller list as far as, uh, you know, paperback books are concerned. Uh, did you guys see that article? They have occupied spots on that bestseller list for a while now, but it's, gl- it's very good to see that they are sustaining that run. Yeah, I think it's cool that when the show went on hiatus, uh, all of a sudden there was a big spike in the trade paperback buying, which is really cool. I mean, that's the idea. I mean, hopefully some new people read the comic from this. We've said that a million times, but it's still true. Well, I'm guilty of it, too. I recently bought volume 15 
and I bought hardcover volume 7, which contains trades 13 and 14. So now that I have hardcover volume 7, I'll probably give away my volumes 13 and 14 trade paperbacks in a, in a near future episode. Uh, let's see, catching up on some other stuff since last time we were on, uh, nothing came of that casting rumor, so it continues to be just a rumor. Uh, otherwise, it's been pretty quiet on the news front. I haven't heard a peep about anything besides some online polls that have Walking Dead characters in them for who should win Best of 2011 stuff. I haven't seen anything in the last few weeks. I haven't either. I'm, it, it's almost like a dry spell. It's almost like people are holding their breath waiting for February to come. It'll be interesting. Uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con will be going on right in the middle of the uh, second half of the second season. And uh, there are rumors that uh, we will be seeing cast members there. So I'll keep everybody posted on that. Hopefully we'll get some interviews. Very cool. And one thing that we did uh, have come our way since the last time we recorded was a voicemail. And I think Brad is going to uh, play that for us, aren't you, Brad? Yes, sir. Here we go. Hey, guys. Uh, my name's Brett. I've been a longtime fan of the comics. Uh, I'm loving the TV show, and your podcast is great. I love listening to the discussion, your analysis, and your comparison to the comics without giving too much away for those people who haven't read it, so keep up the good work. Well, seeing as how you've got the whole offseason to delve into some deeper topics, I wanted to introduce a topic for discussion. Uh, Andrea, actually. So since the beginning of Season 2, she's been taking a lot of flack from people, and I have to admit, I agree that she hasn't been especially likable lately, and she's made more than her fair share of dumb decisions. But when you start to think about her motivation, it actually starts to make a lot of sense. So back in Season 1, she was basically just being protected. So Shane, Morales, Rick, Dale, Glenn, those guys were the protectors. I don't mean it in like a sexist way. It's just, you know, they knew how to use guns. Um, and, you know, Amy, Andrea, Carol, the kids, Ed even, uh, Lori, they were just sort of being protected. And that was just mostly because they didn't have the training to protect themselves. So, I mean, Andrea went into the city once, but she didn't even know how to use her own gun. Uh, so, you know, Amy dies, and the group breaks up, and basically she loses her will to live. And I think that's basically just because she realizes that just because she's around people like Rick and Shane, her protection isn't a guarantee. You know, they couldn't save Amy, so they can't save her. Uh, and if she doesn't start to protect herself, nobody's going to. So I, I think at some point she has a turnaround. She basically wants to stop being a victim. She wants a gun. She wants to learn how to use it. She wants to protect herself. She wants to protect the rest of the group. And she also wants to kind of prove to the group that she's valuable. And unfortunately, that results in her shaving Daryl's temple. Um, so I don't know. Maybe she'll become likable someday. But right now, I, I personally understand that she's having growing pains because she's changing roles. She used to be protected, and now she's becoming a protector. So uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that. Uh, anyways, thanks a lot. Keep it up. I have a feeling that we're going to see a uh the Andrea that we've always wanted and that we've been waiting for, I think we're going to see her in the second half of the second season. Um, he's right about her being protected for so long. And then now that she sees that she's the only one that can protect herself, she's, you know, not in the back seat anymore. She's in the driver's seat and she's really gung ho about it. Um, you know, she was gung ho about it in the comic and, um, there's not a lot of difference between, comic Andrea and TV show Andrea. I just think it's that 
the TV show Andrea is taking a little longer to catch up to what we know of her in the comics. But I have a feeling that we'll really see that come into play in the second season. And I think the fact that that she's good with the guns, but had a close call in killing and almost killing Daryl, I think that's going to make her stop and realize that, hey, this isn't just a hobby. This is something that's serious and it's something that I'm good at. So I'm going to do my best to be the best at it. And uh, I really can't wait until uh, until that happens. There, there was a a scene in one of the most recent Walking Dead comics where she's talking to another character about her uncanny ability with a firearm. And she said, I think the line was, it's pretty ridiculous, actually. And uh, it is. It, it gets to be ridiculous. She can hit anything and do anything. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that Andrea in the comic. And we know, I mean, in the TV show, we know it's coming. And uh, I think we're going to start seeing it uh, now in, come February, the last half of this uh, second season. To, to leapfrog what you, off of what you were saying a few seconds ago, Brad, uh, about how she's pretty similar to, to the comic character, I agree. I think the, the main difference is in the comic, at least in the beginning, there was a lot more characters. There was just a lot of people who were mostly cannon fodder and didn't appear in the show. So in the show, they got a lot more chance to focus on her. She didn't have a lot to do in the comic before she was given firearm training, and that was when her character kind of jumped to the forefront and became you know, the character we all love. So I think the, the sheer fact that there was less characters in the show and they focused a lot more on her and rounded her out as a character before they got to this point is why things might feel different to to some people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, one that I hadn't really thought about. But you're right. You know, there's half as many characters in the TV show as there were in, in the comic. And, uh, you know, Kirkman wanted to give all those people in the comic their, their you know, get-to-know-me page, you know, introduce them to the readers. He couldn't focus on one singular character as much as he can uh, in the in the TV show. So yeah, I think you're I think you're right on track with that. You make a good point about Andrea becoming more likable as you know some of the other cast members get winnowed away in the comic, Jordan. But I think one thing that we really needed to focus uh, to to pay attention to is the Shane factor. I mean, the influence on Sh- of Shane on Andrea in the show. I don't think really can be understated. We see them together. We see her, you know, training with him, the little, you know, sojourn in the back seat they have on the street. I think the influence of Shane's, I mean, the fact that Shane is still in the storyline of the show as opposed to him being absent in the storyline of the comic. And we talk about this later when we get into the comic. Um, you know, can't be undersold. It seems like she's had a real influence on her and because, or he's had a real influence on her. And because of that, it's kind of changed the timber of her character. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Jim. The Shane factor is what is making the show go a different path than the comic. Um, you know, if I might geek out a moment, I, I try to think of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and what those two movies would be like if Obi-Wan Kenobi hadn't died. Spoiler alert in the first movie. Um, it would, they would be completely different. You know, Luke wouldn't end up being the, the person that he ends up being at the end of Return of the Jedi. So, uh, I do, I, I agree. It's, you cannot ignore the shame factor. And I think the shame factor is affecting the show in more ways than even us as comic fans realize. So, uh, thank you, Brett, for the voicemail. We appreciate them. It was a good discussion point. Uh, I just want to add that it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen to Andrea for readers of the comic, I think, um, knowing what's going to happen. But, uh, you never know. You know, a lot of stuff has gone in different directions seems like the writing is on the wall that 
she will go the way of the comic, which is cool. We really need a strong female character, in my opinion. I don't think it's us being chauvinist. I think the female characters have been weak so far. I think even a lot of female listeners to our show and viewers of The Walking Dead have made that comment as well. So definitely something we need in, in, in the program. Well, and we all know, and I think the listeners uh, have figured it out now if they've never read the book. Once Michonne gets here, that's not going to be an issue anymore. It's going to be one <laughs> yeah. of the strongest female characters you've ever seen uh, since Ripley from the Alien movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing Brett brought up that we should comment on is he, he commented on lack of spoilers. And I, I know as we go into the Legion of Dudes episode here in a minute, we warn people in that. But just to give an extra warning here, in this episode, we're going to discuss everything that happens in the first 12 issues of the comic, as well as everything that has aired on the show so far. So if you haven't read the comic and are spoiler phobic, you're probably going to want to avoid that. But if you have read the comic or don't mind finding out what happened in there in relation to the show, you're going to love this episode. I think it would be safe to say that if you are trying to avoid television show spoilers and you, but you have been keeping up with the Walking Dead TV podcast episode by episode, and I'm not trying to dissuade people from listening to the Legion of Dudes episode, but I'm saying if you, if you feel like you might miss something, I would, uh, TV wise, I think it's safe to say that you covered it TV wise just as much as if you, and certainly not any more than, than we on this particular podcast have already discussed season two. So, and I guess what I'm saying is beware. If you listen to this, what follows, uh, you will be spoiled about certain things. So I guess I'm just trying to cover our butts again, you know. <laughs> well, that, that's a one-time thing. It's not going to be, we're not changing the way we handle spoilers in the future. It's just for, just for this episode, listeners. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a shame people will probably skip it. But there's a lot of good comparison here with what we've seen in, in season two so far. Um, it follows it pretty closely. And, and yeah, there will be things that you'll be spoiled about. And I'd say the very end is probably the part that would really spoil you. Um, and I think uh, plus, I'm, I think we mentioned how Shane, how Shane's fate was different, uh, in, yeah. in complete detail. So yeah, we've it, been, we've been harping on the fact that the fact that Shane is dead is not the spoiler, but it's how he was killed. If you don't want to hear that, don't listen to what follows. Um, and yeah, John makes a good point. The end of issue 12, which is the last issue you guys discuss in the, the Legion Dudes episodes, it really opens up something that we're dying to see in the TV show. So you might want to tread lightly is all we're saying. Um, and you and I talked about this off the air a while back when it was just was it just me, you, and Russ that was on one episode and we talked about Walking Dead haikus? Or was that with Jordan? I was, I don't Jordan think was I definitely was on the there. Because Jordan, I, I remember Jordan being there because he asked to do one after the fact. I, for whatever reason, I remember that, that Jordan was there. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just, that was like the second episode we talked about him, I think, not the first one. I'm not sure if the listeners thought we were, I personally was just joking around or whatever, but as far as I know, we haven't really received many haikus at all have we uh we have a couple of people that sent in several oh okay okay so and i don't remember what we said we would do for a prize for that i know what we said we would pick our favorite one i guess all i'm saying is hey if you still want to win something to be determined in the future send in a walking dead haiku yes that's a good thing to do we are re-announcing that we will give away something for your haikus and we have the ones that were sent in already 
Don't worry about resending them or uh, or having to do it again. And we'll take any more haikus that uh, anyone can think of, and we'll do that in the near future. Cool. Uh, where the heck was I? Uh, oh, we have a Twitter friend, a uh, nice young lady by the name of Miranda, and she is an aspiring writer. Um, and she kind, of, she kind of caught my eye on Twitter because she's constantly trying to just get people to check out her stuff on her website. Um, and she describes her stuff as psychological thriller horror with a little gore thrown in for good measure. Uh, you can go to her website. It's Doc Psycho is how you pronounce it. It's D-O-C-S-A-I-C-O dot Weebly dot com. Uh, all her publications are there. She does all these contests. She's giving away stuff all the time. She's trying to promote herself. Uh, there's a chapter on Kindle of her book that is like a buck or something. So if you have the time and you want to read some psychological thriller stuff, Drop on by and and uh, and give her stuff a look. I think it's worth it, given a given somebody that's working hard a shot. So uh, check it out. Sounds cool. Yeah, it is cool. I've actually read some of the stuff and it is cool. And it's all horror and there's like a she says one of the books has a Silent Hill type of feel to it. It's all creepy, cool stuff. I know we have all horror fans and things like that that listen. So take a minute and check it out. Uh, besides that. The next show that will come out will be another Out Now podcast in the middle of January, and the Out Now guys are going to do an all-zombie show for us, all their favorite zombie movies and zombie appearances and, and uh, different zombie stuff. We got a lot of good feedback from their commentary, so uh, good job to Jordan as well. Great job by all those guys. That was a lot of fun. And, it was a lot of fun to record, too. Yeah, sounded like it. <laughs> And so uh, they're going to get another shot. They're going to do an all-zombie show for us in January. And then, you know what, before we know it, we'll be getting ready for the return of Season 2. And we're ready for it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so without further ado, here is the Legion of Dudes episode for The Walking Dead Trade Paperback Volume 2. Beware of spoilers. I guess I'm losing hope. But like I said, it's all about slim chances now. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes! Dude! His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude! Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. A slim chance is better than none. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. Everybody, to episode 172 of the Legion of Dudes. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Johnny M. and Jim Deets. How you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Just swell. More Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> we can't get away from this stupid book. <laughs> no, we love Walking Dead, and that's, of course, why we're doing this. Now, you probably remember that we've actually done the first four volumes of The Walking Dead on Legion of Dudes before, but it was a long time ago, uh, and with the series out and the series kind of covering the same material, we decided, hey, Let's revisit it. Let's start fresh. We actually did Volume 1 way back, Episode 2 of Walking Dead TV. And uh, this episode, we're going to be discussing Volume 2. And this episode is going to be released not only as an LOD episode, but also as a very special bonus Walking Dead TV episode. So hopefully, we got some new listeners on this. And we want to warn you right off the bat, 
that Wyatt Walking Dead TV, we do not spoil, except for some minor exceptions that we've <laughs> thought long and hard about before we do. This episode, we'll be spoiling everything that happens in the first 12 issues of The Walking Dead, uh, the comic book, and everything that has happened up until and including episode 7 of season 2 of The Walking Dead TV show. So, all of that is fair game. We will be discussing all of it. Uh, and if you don't want to hear those, well then, we'll talk to you next week. But if you do want to hear it, we hope you would uh, join us for this awesome ride through Volume 2 of The Walking Dead comic. Yeah, this is a pretty cool six issues now that uh, Season 2 is halfway done because there's a lot of scenes and scenarios taken from it and, uh, you know, a lot of things that are similar and a lot of things that are different and kind of mixed up. So it should be fun to compare and contrast the two. Yeah, it will be interesting rereading this again in the in light of what's happened on the show. Uh, absolutely. Definitely. So before we get to that, I believe we have a sponsor. Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. If you are interested in this or any of the other Walking Dead comics, trades, hardcovers, or like John and I, the compendium that I will be reading from tonight, which is the first 48 issues of the Walking Dead uh, comic, then where you would like to go is dcbservice.com because they have the lowest prices, the biggest discounts, and the best service. And if you use the code uh, WD8, you get an extra 8% off your first order, or if you haven't ordered from them in a year or more, that order as well. So if you in, are enjoying what you're reading and hearing today on The Walking Dead Volume 2 Trade Paperback uh, episode that we're doing, uh, check out DCB service, and you can find it there super cheap, along with all of your other Walking Dead goodies, paraphernalia, tomes, and whatnot. And since we are also uh, releasing this show on Legion of Dudes, I just want to mention a quick few other things that DCBS has alerted me to going on this month. Um, the new DC 52 number 6 issues are being solicited. You can get them all in a bundle for 50% off. So if you're going to buy all those 52 new issues out from DC, uh, this is the way to do it. Also, all DC and Marvel trade paperbacks are an extra 5% off this month, bringing their discount to 45% off. So throw our WD8 code in there if it's your first order, and now you're over 50% off, which is great. Uh, also, big one, 75% off on the Winter Soldier number 1. The new Brubaker, uh, I believe it is, who's, is that Hitch art or is, no, that's not Hitch. That is, uh, it could be Hitch or Epting. I'm not sure, but it's a Brubaker, Winter Soldier, number one. Uh, also Garth Innes Ninjets, number one, which is pretty funny. Uh, they are female ninja assassins spinning out of the Jennifer Blood series from, Dynamite. So that's Garth Innes, Ninjets, Winter Soldier number one, both 75% off. So we're going to get started with issue seven of The Walking Dead. And I should mention that while Jim and John are using the compendium, I'm actually using a trade paperback of volume two. But not only is it a trade of volume two, it's a very special one because it's signed by Robert Kirkman and Chris Hardwick. And this very copy that I'm reading from tonight, uh, tomorrow or the next day, or as soon as I can get to the post office, will be sent to our listener, Brandy L., also known as Fisty LaRue, who won it from Walking Dead TV. So if you're an LOD listener and not listening to WDTV, we've got tons of great contests on there, too. Don't forget to check it out. So, issue number seven starts with our first, and as far as we can remember, only major flashback of the series. Uh, and not only is it a flashback, it's also our introduction to Charlie Adler's art in the series. Before this, uh, it was Tony Moore who did all the series. 
and this was the first time Adler showed up, but Adler has done every issue since number seven, so uh, he, he's the artist most people will think of when they think of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I think even more so than a lot of the big plot, I mean, there are a lot of big plot points in this arc, obviously, but in my mind, this is really when, you know, the the tone shifted from more to, to Adler's art, and Adler really kind of made the story more his own. Um, it just really... His, the shading he uses, the penciling, the way he does, the way he draws the faces, really, I mean, it's the way we think of The Walking Dead, at least I do anyway, uh, when I think of the comics. So I really, this is really where, in my mind, Adler came into his own on The Walking Dead, for sure, these first few issues. So the flashback takes place on the road outside of Atlanta with Laurie and Shane, and you can see Atlanta in the background. It's very reminiscent of the flashback we had just a few episodes ago in the, in the show, except... Uh, you don't have the napalming, you just have them discussing the city, and we actually get a bit of a timeline. Uh, they've been on the road two days, and Rick has been in the coma for three weeks. So that's the closest thing we're going to get to a timeline. Uh, they discuss the fact that everyone's pretty much dead. Lori's parents are dead. Everyone she kn- knows is dead. Uh, they have nobody but each other. Carl's asleep in the car, and uh, they kind of fall down and have a very similar love scene to actually episode two of the series with them grasping their hands like that. Yeah, I was shocked that I, uh, again, I haven't reread this in a while, and I was shocked that I didn't remember this when watching um, that last uh, season's episode where they kind of go through the same motions with the hands interlocking, and I was actually looking to see if uh, they did anything with the wedding rings, because I believe in this scene is where Lori hid her wedding ring, or they both kind of stared at it for a second on the television Yeah, she, she takes it off and kind of sets it to the side. Yeah, yeah, but very similar. Now, now, roughly, do you think this is about the same amount of time that passed in the TV show, with um, uh, you know, Rick being in, in, uh, in the coma for as long as he is in the, in the comic, or do you think maybe the, there was a longer well, period Well, I, I would say there? it's roughly the same amount of time until that flashback we got in episode, season two, episode four, whatever it was, but as as far as how long there was after this scene until Rick gets back, that I don't think we have any idea. So probably yes, but there's no way to know for sure. The, the important thing to me in the book version is the one line from Shane where he says, I've wanted this for so long, because that, that really tells the story in the book that even though... Uh, how do I how do I want to say this? I I guess it tells you that this could have been you know nefarious, which is kind of been the thoughts in the in the TV show. Like, did he really think he was going to die, or did he just leave him for dead so he could have Lori? Well, and also the line from Lori that she says, "And Rick, he's been in that coma for three weeks, uh, so they don't know that he's dead. They just know that they left him. There's been no Shane going back and saying, oh, he's dead. As far as she's concerned, there is a chance he is still alive. Right. So there's a little bit more muddiness on both sides of this equation. Yeah, and I mean, Shane certainly doesn't mean, when he says, I've waited for this so long, he certainly doesn't mean in the last three weeks that we've been waiting for Rick to wake up. I mean, he's obviously had his eye on Laurie for a longer period of time. Right. So we cut from that flashback back to the present day, and we can see that the whole gang is in front of a grave that is clearly Shane's. It's a cross, and it's got his baseball cap, his police baseball cap, hanging from one of the arms. And I guess we should catch everybody up on who is in the camp at this point. Uh, of course, we have Rick, Carl, and Lori. We have Dale and Andrea. Uh, we have Glenn. We have Carol and Sophia. Remember, her husband was never in the book series. He was only in the show. And we have two characters, or actually two characters pictured here, but four characters total 
who are not in the show at all. That is Alan, his wife Donna, and their twin sons Ben and Billy. Uh, their defining characteristics while the kids is that they're twins. Alan doesn't really have one yet, although he will by the end of this volume. And Donna is overbearing and religious. That's about it. She gets in everybody's business. A little bit similar to how, a little bit of a, a combination of the way Dale and Herschel act in the TV show. Yeah, I'd agree with that. She's always disapproving of something. <laughs> That's the first element, yeah. But so, uh, you have quite a few panels of them standing in front of the grave. Everybody walks off except for Lori, who needs a few seconds. And then she spits on the grave and says, you son of a bitch. We got this nice panel work here too, with the full page of uh, you know Shane's grave and whatnot, and uh, the the I mean, that would really, um, I mean, it, it really adds gravitas to the to the moment, you know. But the, by using that kind of like start panel layout with the the, the simple cross and everything, um, also I, I really I can't be overstated the difference in the comic and the show of Shane's being alive and dead. Um, the, it's, I think the main factor that's made the show different, uh, from the T, uh, from the book is the fact that Shane is still alive and all the things that have spun out of that in his relationships with the rest of the group. Absolutely. And, and it should be mentioned, well, two things. One, Carl in this version is about maybe six or seven. He's much younger than he is in the TV show, which is important for the next spoiler I'm about to drop. This is the big one, guys. This is how Shane died and it is important to discuss this volume. So this is your last warning. Shane died because he pulled a gun on Rick, just like he did uh, in, the, in the show, in the woods, where Dale saw him. But this time, Carl shoots Shane. Carl shoots and kills Shane with the revolver that he's gotten recently in the show. So Carl is the one who killed Shane. That is your major spoiler. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about how the show has gone so differently and everything. And um, the show's done such a great job of setting up that kind of father-son proxy relationship between Shane and Carl. Uh, you know, Carl oftentimes goes to Shane if he wants Shane to talk his dad into something, and Shane was the one who was there when his dad was in the in the coma in the hospital, so it's going to be really interesting if and when they ever go down that same path in the show now that they've laid a lot more foundation for how hard of an act that will be for Carl. So Rick has a conversation with Alan about, hey, I never thought, you know, this would happen. I never thought Shane would be dead so fast. I never thought Shane would do what he did, etc., uh, and then our next scene, we have a scene between Rick and Dale, which for me took on a lot more meaning now after we've seen Dale in the show, just where he, he stops Rick and he says, um, you know, I think Shane was in love with your wife. And I think there was more going on there. And I think you should be aware of this. Yep. Something else I forgot. You know, again, it's such a, this is so important, but it's such a small piece of the book series while it's such a, huge part of the television show because Shane's still alive. So a lot of these small details that happen on a page or a panel in one issue, you could totally forget about in the scope of the 90-plus issues that the book is now. Right. I, I appreciate how they kept Dale as, uh, as perceptive as he is. So. You know what I mean? I mean, he seems to be the, like I say in, in the Walking Dead TV show, he's the watcher. You know, he's always keeping an eye on everything and they you definitely see that here in the comic as well with him, you know, being perceptive as to what was going on there with Shane and Lori. And also inserting himself into situations that are not necessarily his business. Like, there was no reason for him to tell Rick this. It's it's over and done with, none of his business, etc. But uh, it'll come up later in this in this issue, or not this issue, but this series of issues as well. But Dale also tells Rick that, hey, Andrew's been keeping track of the days, and if she's not wrong, 
tomorrow's Christmas. And Rick kind of, this is where Rick gets angry, not where I think Shane was in love with your wife. But don't tell anyone it's Christmas. We're going to skip Christmas this year. He doesn't want to upset the kids. Oh, you could decorate a walker and, uh, you know, cover him with uh, tinsel and <laughs> put an angel on top of his head. Is this where he tells them that we trusted Shane as our leader because he was a cop and we think it should be you now? Or am I getting ahead of myself? More or less, yeah. You know, um, we were ready to move camp, Rick. Let's just say Shane called the shots because he was a cop. I'm an old man, Glenn's a kid, Ellen, Alan Well. He's not leadership material. We needed someone to look up to, to make us feel safe, especially the women. I talked to everyone earlier, and now we think that someone is you. So there you have it. Yeah, it's thrown at him more in the show, or he puts it more on himself, I think. I don't remember any sort of uh, formal making of Rick the leader, which makes sense because Shane is still around. So Right. So Carl's asleep in his tent, and Rick goes and talks to him and says, Look, I know a lot of this stuff went down with Shane. If you ever want to talk about it, you let me know, and Carl says he understands. So they all pile all the gasoline into the RV. They all pile themselves into the RV, and they decide it's time to hit the road through the snow. Because we should mention that, unlike the show, a lot more time has passed now. It's already winter. It's snows covering everything. They're all bundled up in coats and hats, uh, and it's a very different feel from the endless summertime of the TV show. It's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess I did already say that. So... That night, or some night soon after, they're driving down the road, and uh, they get out for a few minutes to just stretch their legs. When three people come up to them, and they think it's zombies, Rick says, look around, see how many there are, we don't want to get surrounded. But very quickly, they hear a, whoa, 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 hold your fire. And we're introduced to three brand new characters. This is Tyrese, a large black man with a uh, claw hammer strapped to his leg in a pair of carpenter jeans, his daughter Julie, and her boyfriend Chris. And they say they're sorry that they snuck up on him. Yes, the very famous Tyrese who, if you're like a member of, you know, message boards or Facebook groups or Twitter and you only watch the TV show, this is the Tyrese that everybody's been talking about, begging for, saying T-Dog is him, uh, saying he will find Sophia, <laughs> amongst many other uh, scenarios. Yes, this is indeed Tyrese. He and his family or his daughter and her boyfriend have not eaten for several days. So Rick and the group invite them to spend the night uh, under their protection and eat some of their food. And the next morning, Rick and Tyrese kind of have a getting-to-know-each-other conversation. It's a lot of conversation, which is, uh, the book is kind of known for. You'll have your moments of explosive, explosive violence and action, and then you'll have <laughs> many, many pages where there's more dialogue in a panel than there is actual art. Yeah, and, and if we can backtrack one page to the last couple of panels uh, when they meet Tyrese. This is part of the... I just had to bring this up because I wanted I wanted to be known that the Lori hate isn't, like, totally unwarranted. <laughs> she gives Rick a hard time at the, in the last couple of panels here saying that they shouldn't trust Tyrese. And Rick is saying, come on, he's got kids with him, you know, we should help them. And, and Lori's kind of, you know, you're inviting a stranger to sleep in the same room with us. And uh, she says, you know... We have kids, too, but don't be so trusting, Rick. And she's got, like, this nasty face on. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's just part of the annoying uh, first few signs of Lori being kind of a strong personality. I won't say annoying. So in that conversation that Rick and Tyrese have, they discuss all the things Tyrese and his family have been through. Apparently, Julie was almost raped by an ice old man that they thought was an ice old man, but turned out that the first time he met another human being after everything went down, first thing on his mind was raping someone. So they've been through quite a lot. 
Yeah, and I think he, um, does he admit here that he ended up killing the guy, like beating him to death? Yeah, he says, I killed that man, Rick. I wanted to, but I didn't mean to. I beat on him, and he died. And Rick says, pretty much, don't beat yourself up on that. Any dad would do that. You did the right thing. And this is kind of like, this is important in the book because a main theme in the book is, like, who are really the monsters, you know, the humans or the zombies. Um, there's a lot of violence and terrible things done to, you know, to each other from the people in the book. I don't think we've gotten there yet in the television show. Um, yeah, they've met some not nice people, but well, nobody's... I mean, you have Shane with Otis as an example. Yes, Shane is the first... That's a good point. Shane is the only character so far that sort of uh, brought that theme into the TV show. But I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to get a lot more of that in the near future. Right, right. Or maybe even with Ed a little bit. Ed was a, Ed was a pretty terrible guy. But he is gone now. Yes. So they're having this conversation. They discuss where they went to, uh, all the different things they've seen, when they see two walkers coming up in the distance. So Rick pulls out his hatchet So to our caller on WDTV in the past show, or, or was it a call or an email, I don't remember, but who was upset that Rick didn't have a hatchet yet, and we didn't really remember when Rick got the hatchet, apparently he already has it now. Yep, and they're and, concerned with making noise, which is another thing that we've been talking about, but they haven't really, they've been firing a lot of guns off in the TV show, and in the book it's a constant theme that you can't, you know, you gotta, not only are you conserving ammo, you're staying quiet. Right, and so Rick grabs the hatchet, Tyrese grabs his trusty hammer, and they go to town on the two approaching zombies. Yeah, it's beautiful how you can go, like you said, Jordan, from double-page splash of constant dialogue to, like, double-page splash of just zombies taking blunt and sharp weapons to the head. And just all the sound effects, fox, black, thunk. So they go back on the road, uh, they find cars in the way, and they get help from Tyrese to move the cars so they can actually get through on the road, and so they're, they're very happy to have him around. And we can see that Carol, yes, the same Carol from the show, is uh, starting to develop some feelings for Tyrese, and they're very clearly mutual. Yeah, what a different Carol, huh? Yeah, <laughs> she's much more forward. But I mean, that's one of the things with the show. We had to, we got the chance to see her relationship with her husband, and it made her a much more three-dimensional character. Here, all she really is is Tyrese's love interest. In the show, you know a lot more about her, how she feels, how she acts, and it's probably more interesting, I think, in the show, too. Yeah, and I, w I would I would say that she's probably portrayed as younger and maybe more feminine in the book. A little bit. And we also see, as they sit around the campfire eating that night, that uh, as as Tyrese makes another pass at Carol, that Glenn seems to be a little bit miffed at this. So Rick looks around and he notices that Lori is walking away, so he goes to talk to her. She turns around and she tells him, Rick, everything's not okay, I'm pregnant. Yep, and that's how Robert Kirkman ends issues of the Walking Dead comic book. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, if you decide to read the comic after seeing the show, be prepared for a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of each and every issue. Do you think Glenn was upset because he had some feelings for Carol? Or do you think it's just the Glenn loneliness, you know, he wants It's somebody... a little bit of both. He goes into it in, like, issue 10 or 11, just, just briefly with Maggie. But, yeah, he definitely had some... At least a crush on Carol. Because again, she did seem a little bit younger in the, in the book. Even though he mentions that she, she, she was old for him, but still, there's not a, exactly a lot of choices around. So Rick and Lori come back to the group and she tells the entire group that she's pregnant. And, uh, I believe it's Alan says, I, I don't know what to say. So Rick tells him, congratulations has worked for years. No, in the show, 
she hasn't told everyone, right? Only only Glenn and Rick and Shane know so far, and Dale. Right, but yeah, I mean, but still, that's more than half the camp at this point, at least of their immediate group, not counting Herschel's family and stuff. So, again, Dale comes up to Rick and says, uh, you know, we were talking about the other day with uh, Rick and Lori, so she's pregnant. You think it could be uh, could be his? And Rick immediately tells him to drop it. And Dale doesn't drop it. He comes back with, hey, you've only been with us a little over a month. Think of the timing. And Rick blows up at him and says, not another damn word. I like the shading they put on Rick's face here, too, to give him a little bit more of a menacing air than before we saw him at the campfire with the warm. You know, we're going to have a baby. Now he's showing Dale the other side of his temper, you know. Yeah, Adler does a great job with negative space. You know, like at nighttime, he basically colors the whole panel black. And then, you know, the snowflakes are actually not colored in. So you get your white specks and stuff. Um, and he does the same with, like, the shadowing on the faces. Like, it's more it's more all black. And then, you know, just the eyeball in the shadow will not be colored in. So it's sort of like a negative space type of feel. And this is another example of maybe Dale being a little bit more of a busybody than I remembered in the book. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember it. Uh... I actually give them credit now. He's more like I thought in the in the TV show. He's more like the book than I remember. It's just like, why the hell would you bring this up? It's not your business. Clearly, he's already thinking about it. Just let sleeping dogs lie. Do you think Glenn is a little younger in in the book? I, I get the feel. I know Maggie's younger because they specifically mention that she's nineteen in the book and she's twenty two in the show. Um, just because the beard isn't white, really, you know, like the beards maybe. Oh, oh, you said Dale. I thought you said Glenn. Um, maybe. I think it might just be that Jeffrey DeMunn is probably older than the character in the book, but that's the actor that they wanted. You know what I mean? Also, the so, beard is shorter. It looks more like a little bit more than stubble, but a little less than a beard. Yeah. As yeah, I always thought of Dale as being maybe mid-40s, early 50s in the book, but DeMunn's mean, clearly older than that. Right. And they also aged Andrea up in the show as well. She's much younger in the book. So the next day, they're driving along. They're driving past deserted, burned-out buildings. There's nothing for them there. Uh, they get out to take another walk around, get some more gasoline, siphon it out of some old cars. When uh, Dale gets scared by a half-frozen zombie on the ground, so they rush over to help him, and Glenn looks down at it and says, I think it's frozen, and it makes another noise, and he screams and falls down on his butt just like Dale. And it's quickly dispatched of with Rick's hatchet. I love when they take the zombie, you know, like, there's a lot of things you can do with the zombie. Like, if it doesn't have, you know, if it's not pumping blood, if it's dead, then it could be frozen and still kind of kicking. You know, like, just right. different different little takes on it. You know, like, we've seen cut in half and they're dragging themselves because they don't really bleed out. You know, the only way to kill them is through the head. So it could be, like, totally frozen, really, and if the head's got a little bit of room to wiggle, <laughs> it's still gonna be kicking and making noises and we even saw on the show, wasn't the one, the first time that Nicotero showed up when he was eating the deer, was he decapitated first and then they shot the head? Or did they just, like, beat him down and then shoot him in the head? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't recall. I, I might have the severed heads from the end of the remake of Dawn of the Dead confused with his. but I thought they, they beat him down. It looked like it was, it was like a team effort. You know, they all took him down. Right, right. So they get back in the car, they drive a little more, and they come across a place called Wiltshire Estates. And uh, Rick, or some, I think, I guess it's Rick, says, I think we just hit the jackpot, which is probably a Spider-Man reference. Yeah. Now, of course, we haven't seen Wiltshire Estates explicitly in the show. Um, a lot of the purpose of Wiltshire Estates was fulfilled by the CDC. 
It was a place where they could rest, recuperate for just a little bit, feel safe, and then things go to hell and they have to move on. But also, uh, when Shane and Andrea go to that development looking for Sophia, it also has a very similar feel and look to this particular town. That's exactly what I was thinking when I saw that episode. I'm like, now is this going to end up being Wilshire Estates? You know, if Herschel, you know, successfully does eject them from the farm, is this where we're going to go next in the show? And I have a feeling that they're probably going to skip it entirely. I hope so, at least. Um, especially because this happens first in the book. And it, I don't know, it just feels a little bit too similar to, it's a, a little too generic, if you know what I mean. Like a lot of the other set pieces have much more character and, and uh, are much more memorable than this one. And just for anyone who might be listening along and not flipping through the pages of the book, Wilshire Estates is a very nice gated-in community. So it gives kind of the idea that no zombies could be in there if it was locked. Or if they clean out everybody that's in there, then they should be safe behind the gates. Right. That's pretty much the plan as they move in, too. They, you know, they go house to house to clean it out. And that's exactly what they do. The kids stay in the RV to stay safe. Uh, and they go house to house. Rick looks around and he says, hey, I found a basement. These houses are bigger than he looks. And then zombie Peter Cushing and zombie Otis bust out of the basement and take him by surprise. Uh, he manages to chop one across the side of the neck with his hatchet. And he's about to be eaten by the other uh, with Dale pointing a gun at it, but he can't quite get it. When Tyrese comes out of nowhere and tackles the fat zombie out of the way, and Rick is able to take take care of it with the hatchet, and Tyrese takes care of the other one with the hammer. I like the the panels here at the bottom of this page. You know, the both men doing the same action, and the repetitive uh, sound effects. You know, going off panel. It's just a really nice effect. Like yeah, definitely. And I, I would say it's more toward Johnson than Otis. Than okay. That particular fat zombie. But but definitely the skinny one's Peter Cushing. I mean, look at that first panel. It's it's Kirkin right there. <laughs> Montgomery Burns, perhaps? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, so after they kill those, they look around in the basement, they find another zombie, they take care of it, they drag them outside, and they decide that once they, once they have enough bodies, they'll burn them to get rid of it. And Rick asks Tyrese, hey, that was a really good tackle. Where'd you learn that? And we find out that Tyrese played for two years in the NFL. Then eventually became a used car salesman. Or at least a car salesman. It doesn't say used. It was odd that... um. Uh, for me, when uh, watching the show, I thought that T-Dog was going to kind of fill the role that Tyrese does in the, in the comic, but that hasn't been the case at all. And I wonder if Tyrese is going to be introduced later on. I kind of hope he is, because he's, I mean, he's a good, strong character and a good foil for Rick. It'll be interesting. It seems to me that a lot of his character traits, or at least uh, character beats and different things, have been split between Shane and Daryl. You know, with Daryl falling in love with Carol, it seems and Shane fulfilling the alpha male role. Um, if they do eventually bring him in, it'll be interesting to see what a, another another alpha male brings to the mix when you've already got three of them. Uh, so Rick says that he thinks the whole NFL thing's pretty cool. It's a lot better than his job as a cop. And uh, Tyree says, oh, I always assumed you were a badass cop, hero cop, the way you've been handling yourself. And Rick tells him, Lord, no, I was a regular Barney Fife. So after they get that house clear, they move everybody inside. They decide that for the first night at least, They'll all sleep inside this one house to be safe, and then once they've cleared out some more, uh, they'll disperse throughout the town. So Rick, Lori, and Carl are in one room, and Donna is going around bringing blankets to the different groups. Uh, she next goes to uh, to Tyrese and tells him to take an extra one for Carol, so even she can tell that something's going on there. And next she comes to the room where Dale and Andrea are, and she kind of knocks but kind of doesn't, and she sees through the crack in the door that... Uh, 
that Dale and Andrea are definitely inflacrante delicto, as they say, in pretentious terms, or as Jim prefers, hanky-panky. Getting it on. <laughs> and I guess this could be considered a possible spoiler for the TV show. I mean, Andrea and Dale could end up being involved in the TV show, but I don't think so. They seem way too far different in age. Again, I could see it being Dale having the creepy kind of crush and fatherly, you know, being overprotective and stuff, but I don't see them ever being together. I totally agree with that, John. They have a totally different dynamic on the show, a totally different kind of relationship than they did in the book. And I, and I agree also with what you're saying about it being the age difference. Um, here, like I said, Dale is more of a middle-aged guy rather than an older guy. Um, so I guess what we see, you know, him and Andrea hooking up is not that huge of a deal. Well, that's true, but she's also in her very early 20s instead of in her mid-30s in the book. Um, but also, I mean, I, I think it could happen in the show, but if it does, it'll probably be a while. I don't see it happening this season, or if it does, right towards the end. So Donna gets back to her husband, Alan, and they talk for a while, and he notices, hey, it's getting warm outside. The snow's melting off the window. And the camera moves outside of the house. It moves all the way to the edge of Wilshire Estates where we can see the, the RV parked out front. And there's a sign out front with snow on it. And we see it start to melt. The snow plops to the ground. And revealed below on the sign, it says, All dead, do not enter. And that is how issue number eight ends. Yes. So there must be a lot more of them. <laughs> yeah. It's not just the three. I love the, the cover of issue number nine. It's a close-up on an eye with a fly sitting right on the eyeball and then the reflection of the retina we can see uh, the back of Rick carrying not just a hatchet but a full-blown fire axe. It's a very cool piece of art. I've got the uh, the hardcover of all the uh, collected covers of the first 50 issues and uh, hardcovers of The Walking Dead and it's well worth getting. It's a great coffee table book. All, all the cover art from the entire series is really outstanding. Yeah, it's good stuff. So Rick wakes up, and he finds that Lori beat him to waking up, and uh, they have a brief discussion. They talk about Carl sleeping there. We go to the next room, where uh, Tyrese, Carol, Sophia, Chris, and Julie are all sleeping, and we can see that maybe in his sleep, or maybe not, Tyrese rolled over and has his arm around Carol, and she's just fine with it. Uh, well, then we cut over to Donna and Alan, who have a conversation, uh, and he propositions her right before the twins wake up, and they, they interrupt them, and that doesn't go any farther. Yeah, Donna's loosening up a little bit here. I think we kind of uh, breezed over a quick scene where she's actually happy to find Carol and Tyrese. No, uh, to find Andrea and um, and Dale. Which is weird considering how disapproving she was of the same exact pairing just a little bit earlier. Right, and she tries to kind of explain it that she's just happy to see people happy for once. And I think... Um, Alan calls, uh, says something like the Ice Queen melted or something like that. So they're acknowledging like that. that, you know, she's a pain in the neck and she's lightening up a little bit here. Right. Hey, lighten up. It's the apocalypse, baby. Loosen up. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, and I think that humanizing moment was important considering what comes next. Uh, the next day, the group, they go out. They decide they're going to look for canned food because their food supply is starting to run pretty low. And so they all take different houses and groups. They take the guns with them. And Alan and Donna have a brief conversation where she tells him, it ends by him, her telling him that you worry too much as he walks away. And we can see right behind her is a zombie walking out of a doorway. Meanwhile, Rick goes back to the RV, I think to get his gun. And as he turns around to walk back inside, he sees for the first time the all dead do not enter sign. And he quickly runs back inside to warn the others. 
So we then cut back to Donna, who sees the zombie. She screams, it groans, and then in a one of the most graphic images of this volume, probably, it, we get a, a half-page splash of the zombie biting her right in the eye socket, and it is gross. Yeah. You know what, though? It looks really great in black and white. I think if this oh, were color and they were to do it with the color of the blood and everything, it would look good, but I don't think it would look as good as this does. Yeah, this is really moody. It really conveys it really well. So Alan, of course, has his gun, and he runs over, but at that same moment, Rick runs in and yells, don't shoot, don't fire guns. Whatever you do, don't shoot, because we're in danger. So Tyrese tackles, not quite tackles, but he grabs Alan and tries to stop him from firing the gun, but Alan does it anyway, and then we get a series of five panels from all around Wilshire States as we see zombies catching notice of the sound. And uh, in a, as we flip to the next page, we can see a panel that reminds me definitely of when Shane and Andrea went to that, that development in episode, what, four or five, as we see zombies coming out of every doorway uh, noticeable as they come right towards that sound. I love those first five panels when all the zombies hear the gunshot. They're all kind of like looking at the, quote, camera. You know, they're looking right at the reader like, huh? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, they're all like, what? So they, they quickly decide, it's time to get the hell out of here. Everybody head for the RV. Alan is very clearly shaken up by what has just happened. Uh, Rick has to take out a couple zombies just to save Alan's life. Everybody runs back to the house that they were all in. They run for the RV. Uh, but Julie and Chris are still back at the house. They didn't want to go out looking for the other houses. They're young. So Tyrese has to go get them, and when he finds them, they're either just about to begin or have just finished having sex. He kind of freaks out but decides, right now, you just need to get your clothes on, and we've got to get out of here. So they head out onto the roof because the steps are already getting covered in zombies. Everybody can't uh, wait to do it. As soon as they get, as soon as they get into <laughs> private lodgings. Did maybe the zombies have an aphrodisiac or something? It's just like everybody wants to get a little zombie. It's that new zombie smell. So they're up on the roof. They can't get down. They are surrounded, like literally surrounded by zombies. This is probably the most zombies you'll see in one panel for the majority of The Walking Dead. There's a good 50 in this one panel. And uh, the only way they can get down is that Dale drives right into the center of the zombies with the RV, and they jump down on the roof. They head for the gate, and they crash out as the RV is covered in zombie gore. You can kind of hear the A-Team theme as the scene goes by <laughs> I'm not even joking. I kind of did hear that in the back of my head. Just that dun 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 dun. It's the way it's dun, half dun, in the air. Then choom as they make their way out of the Wilshire Estates. I pity the zombie. It wasn't a very long stay at the Wilshire Estates. Yeah. So they're quick. They quickly hit the road. Alan is clearly, you know, dealing with some some grief, some post traumatic stress disorder. He's not handling it very well, and everyone can tell that. We get this quiet shot, you know, after he tells the, the twins that his mother is dead, uh, their mother is dead. You know, we, everyone, just, we get this nice panel of everyone gathering, you know, around the uh, lorry, hugging the twins. And then that one desolate shot of the RV, you know, against the horizon. It's just like very, I've, I mean, very cinematic. I, 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 you know, it's no wonder it's being made into a television, you know, it has been made into a television show. Just, you know, very good use of, you know, point of view from the artist. Definitely. So they continue along on their journey, and they get to a store that both inside and outside reminds me quite a bit of the pharmacy near near Herschel's farm, where uh, Glenn and Maggie got it on. You know, it, just the whole look of it, and, and I love Rick's look. He kind of looks like Lawrence of Arabia. He's got a towel wrapped around his head, kind of tied in place with some rope to keep himself warm. But we can tell that the group is running very low on food. 
Because they're running low on food, Rick and Tyrese decide, we're going to go hunting. We've got guns, we've got bullets, and we've got the wilderness. It's time to go hunt and kill some food because we're starving. Hey, um, one second here. Uh, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, Shane, uh, Shane, Rick probably doesn't have, like, real warm clothes because, you know, they're from, he's from Atlanta or whatever. Where did they travel? Did, I, I'm, I guess I'm forgetting what happened in volume one completely. They've obviously driven some extent to be in the snow, right? Because At one point in the story, they mentioned that they're about 30 miles from Atlanta. I don't remember exactly where in this volume, but I know at one point they mentioned it. Okay, so I'm going to guess 30 miles north of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could just be an unseasonably cold season, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of snow for the Georgia area. But anyway. Oh, def- definitely. <laughs> So Rick and Tyrese go hunting, but Carl wants to come as well. And so they, after a little bit of discussion, decide to bring him along with them. What's the worst that could happen? So Rick, Tyrese, Carl go out into the woods, and they're not there very long. They hear a noise when all of a sudden, straight through straight through the chest, Carl is shot. And out of the woods comes a man who says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please don't shoot me. It was all an accident, I swear. And Rick grabs him. What did you do? What did you do? Do you realize what you've done? I'll kill you. I'll effing kill you as he puts his gun to the guy we know as Otis's face. Skinny oh, Otis. Skinny Otis, yes. You know, they, they say the ad, the camera adds about, you know, 150 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Otis, Otis of Earth One. <laughs> Earth One. That's how we going to start referring to the, the TV, the comic in the TV, Earth One, Earth Two. Right. You know, again, it's funny how your mind just plays games with you. I would have sworn that Carl was looking at a deer in the comic as well, but I guess not. Nope, no deer in the comic at all. And no Sophia missing at this point. Sophia is absolutely fine. I'm starving to death, but aside from that, she's fine. So Rick, at the issue 10 begins with uh, Tyrese yelling, Rick, stop, don't do it. He's still breathing, Rick. Carl isn't dead. And Carl qu- er, Rick quickly drops Otis and rushes back over to his son. So in a scene that we didn't get in the show, it just kind of cut from the shooting to them running through the woods towards the farmhouse. Uh, we get Otis, you know, describing, hey, I, I live and work with this guy, Herschel. He can help, you know. His son got shot in the foot. He he patched him up good. This is where we need to go. And so they do. Meanwhile, Tyrese goes back to the group to let them know what happened, and they hit the road as fast as they can. Uh, we see Herschel's farm for the first time. It's actually an overhead shot, and at least the... The homestead portion seems a little bit smaller in the in the book than in the show. It's maybe four acres fenced in with some fields around it, but it, it definitely feels more claustrophobic than the one we saw on the show. Yeah, the one in the show seemed very open. This, I mean, especially with this aerial shot establishing, it seems very closed in. Um, usually on the the show, if a walker approaches, you know, they're not blocked from it at all, but they could see it coming from a long way away because it's such an open field. And I remember there was even that one shot where, uh, uh, Herschel and Rick are talking, they look out over the expanse and just, you know, open rolling field here, especially, like I said, with the use of this aerial shot, we see the confined nature of, of the farmhouse and the barn. So Herschel comes out and, uh, they explain to him the situation. And he starts patching up Carl, and we see Rick is got a blood-covered shirt, and he's very dazed. It's very reminiscent of the scene, uh, almost identical in the show, except the first person to get to him is Lori instead of Shane. Uh, Herschel comes out and says he's got him patched up. There's a lot of bleeding, but he might pull through. We'll see. And then he introduces our group to his group. We have Herschel. We have his eldest daughter, Lacey. 
uh, a guy with a ponytail who's his son Arnold, uh, his daughter Maggie, his youngest son Billy, and Rachel and Susie, who are the youngest. So a slightly bigger family in the book than in the show, although it's kind of hard to tell in the show because there always seems to be another kid running around. And here, uh, this is Otis and his girlfriend, Patricia. Yep, very clearly stated. And uh, who's the son in the show that um, keeps, like, volunteering with Rick's group to that, do stuff? That is not Herschel's son. That is the boyfriend of one of his daughters. Uh, so I would guess it, there seems to be, you know, the, the family's changed around a little bit. Instead of the youngest son, Billy, there's a girl around that age, and uh, Jimmy is her boyfriend. And there's no Lacey, as far as I can tell in the show. There's no Arnold. And there might be one younger girl than the one who's got the boyfriend, but I'm not entirely sure. Gotcha. They, 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 if I had one, I know it's kind of a minor complaint, but it's a major complaint for me, is you never really see how many people are in that farm, and it wouldn't take that long to explain it. But regardless. Well, they're already trying to sell an ensemble cast. Maybe they thought this would be too confusing to add all these other characters. Uh, I agree, but also, if you're going to have them, you might as well explain who they are. Plus, you know, it's zombie fodder. But, like I said, regardless. Rick and Lori sit by Carl's bed, and they have a discussion about his fate, and it's uh, in an interesting twist on what we saw on the show. Here, Rick says, if only Carl could sleep until this was all over, to which Lori says, geez, Rick, we don't want him to be in a coma. What a terrible thing to say. So we have a little bit of a role reversal there. More pain in the neck, Lori. Well, I mean, when Lori said her piece, saying what Rick is saying, people beat up on her on the TV show, and now she's saying the opposite, saying he's the one saying it, and she she's saying, don't say that, it's terrible. So she can't win. No, she definitely can't. <laughs> so uh, Otis is sitting uh, outside where he was either chopping wood or he's at least sitting where they chop wood, and Tyrese comes to talk to him. And, uh, you know, he apologizes again. He says, I wouldn't hurt a fly, which is, I think, a line we heard directly from uh, Herschel on the show, where he discusses Otis. And uh, Tyrese mentions that they just came from this neighborhood that was overrun by zombies. And Otis's neighborhood, well, that must have been Wiltshire Estates. Patricia and I were there when all this started. Everyone in the area who couldn't make it to Atlanta decided to hole up there. It was a disaster. We didn't have no protection. Once them things come in, we had no way of stopping them. Patricia and I barely made it out alive. Ben and Billy, the twins, are out throwing snowballs at each other in the fields, and Alan's watching them. And Andrea comes over and tries to talk to him and says, Look, you need to think of your kids. I can tell you're really depressed, but you need to get a hold of yourself. And he yells at her, My wife just died. He's not interested in listening. No. Yeah, Alan's kind of whiny at this point. I mean, considering he has, you know, two young boys that, you know, need him, you know, and he needs to, I mean, everybody's lost, you know, friends, family, loved ones. I mean, I don't know why he feels like he is any different than anyone else. I guess because I, I, he just lost her, or I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a little unclear. But so Rick and Lori are sleeping, and Herschel comes to tell him your son's awake, so they rush in, and the first thing Carl wants to know is, where's my hat? Because, of course, in the show, we saw it was after he woke up that he got the hat, but in the book, he got the hat and his six-shooter much, much earlier. And in the show, it's where's Sophia? That's true, yeah. That is true, but, of course, after he meets, or he doesn't meet Tyrese, but he talks to Tyrese, Tyrese gives him his hat back, they talk about there's going to be some new people, and then, who comes in but Sophia, who wanted to see Carl. She runs over, and she asks him, did it hurt? He says, I don't know, I, I don't remember, I, I think so, I bet I'm going to have a big scar. She says, cool, scars are sexy. Sexy? You don't even know what that means. Neither do you. Well, so I'm not the one who tried to say it. And she kisses him on the cheek, to which he replies, you gross. A scene we will kind of unfortunately never get to see in the show. 
No, if Sophia kisses Carl now, yeah, we're gonna have to put Carl down too. (laughs) (laughs) But seeing as that's how pretty much the one scene of Sophia I remember from the whole book series, it's not a major loss. Anyway, uh, Lori and Dale have a conversation again. Dale sticking his nose where it doesn't belong, and he pretty much says to her, "If." if the baby Shane's, never tell Rick, despite the fact that he's the one who tried to put the thought in Rick's head that it could be Shane's in the first place. And then he tells her Timmy's ready. Yeah, that's uh, kind of strange. He's a strange Dale's character. A busybody. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we have our big dinner scene, somewhat reminiscent of the one in the show, although, of course, Otis is still alive. There's no Shane. Uh, again, Tyrese makes a pass at Carol, and we can see that Glenn is more than a little upset about that. But then we cut outside where Maggie, who is sitting across from him, has a discussion with him, and, and, and she brings it up. She says, you know, you clearly have something for her. And he says, before Tyrese came, I guess I had my eyes on Carol. She's a bit older than me, but I liked her. I guess I'm just a little pissed I never made my move. They have a little bit more of a discussion uh, about sex and how the fact that he wanted to have some a little bit more before he died. And she tells him straight out, I'll sleep with you. If that's what you're in for, I'll sleep with you. But that's not what she, how she says it. It's not the exact. She uses the the adult uh, the adult f bomb or that we can use. Fornicate. Uh, we then cut to we then cut to Tyrese who comes to talk to Julie and her boyfriend Chris, and he says we need to talk more or less. Uh, if you want if you get pregnant, this is going to end terribly because we got zombies. I don't even know how Rick and Rick and Lori are going to handle it, but uh, you need to keep your pants on because this is just not going to work out. And uh, after he walks away, Chris says, Julie, see, I told you we needed to go ahead and do it. I want to be together with you for the rest of eternity. I don't want your father to stand in the way of that. She says, I know. I just don't want to do it until the time is right. We have to wait. And he says, fine, Julie, we'll play it your way, but I don't want to wait forever. So something is clearly up with those two. And two characters that aren't even in the television show at all, right? Not yet, no, yeah. So Rick and Herschel are having a conversation, looking in on the horses in the field. It's somewhat similar to ones they've had in the show, but only similar. Uh, and they talk about kind of where they've come from. And uh, Herschel says to Rick, you know, you're welcome to enjoy the farm while Carl heals. You know, you can you know, stay out here. You've got plenty. You've got your RV. We don't have a lot of room inside, but you can, you know, use some of our food, etc. And Rick brings up the barn. He says, what about the barn? You think we could move into that place? Most of us are pretty sick of cramming into the RV. And in this version, Herschel is much more forthcoming. He says, the barn? You don't want to go in there. Trust me, that's where we keep our dead ones. And that ends issue number 10. Crazy Herschel zombie barn. <laughs> yeah, it's much more clear here, too. Uh, not that they didn't clear it up in the show, because they did. But right off the bat, it's where we keep our dead ones. So you know right off the bat that all his family and friends that end up going, that's what he's doing with them. Right. And so we pick up on issue 11, and Rick says, Dead ones? What do you mean the dead ones? And Herschel quickly explains exactly why he's keeping them in there. You know, we don't know these things could be healed tomorrow. And, uh, you know, if you're killing them, because Rick tells him you're killing them, he says, killing them? You've just been killing them? And uh, Rick says they're putting, he, these, they're putting them out of their misery. It's, uh, like you said, it's, a lot, it's framed a lot differently, but it's the same argument that's from the TV show. You know, you have Herschel saying, you know, they can be cured, they're... You know, that, you know, it's a disease and, and Rick is just like, you know, you know, we've been putting them down. You know, it's a little, a little different, but basically the same argument. Yeah. There's no real religious bent to Herschel in the book. Um, which I actually think I prefer, even though I'm not huge on that subject myself in real life, I think it worked better in the show 
where you gave him a little bit more of a basis for his beliefs, more than just, well, I think they could wake up tomorrow. And of course, we learn that, you know, his son is in there, his son, Sean, not his stepson, like in the, like in the, um, like in the show, but his son. And we also learn that his wife, I don't know if it was right here, but his wife died several years earlier. Yeah, I think he mentions that in the uh, first conversation, first part of the conversation with Rick, which is actually the last issue. Okay, okay. So they kind of argue, and he, he says, Rick, get your hands off me. You know, what do you mean it's not my son in there? What made you such an expert? I don't know about you, but the zombies around here didn't come with an effing instruction manual. And it's Tyrese who's the one who pulls Rick back and says, Rick, we're guests here, man. We aren't making the rules. Just stop this. So Rick was feeling much more of a Shane role in this particular conversation. Yeah, and I think you can track that back. I mean, already in this volume, you know, he's yelling at Dale for bringing up Christmas. He's yelling at uh, Dale for bringing up Shane and Laurie. He's about to kill Otis when Otis shoots Carl. He's blowing up here at Herschel. You know, it's just this This is the different Rick that we've been talking about on the Walking Dead TV show that we really haven't seen this Rick in the television show. Right. Yeah, it almost seems like some of the more um, proactive aspects of Rick have ended up in Shane's character. And Tyrese gets to play the other voice of reason. I'd agree with that, and and it it makes sense because you wouldn't have to, you know, I think on the television show, they want the opposite. Rick's the nice guy, Shane's the bad guy. Whereas, you know, to have Rick be this way, you know, they'd be the same character. Because I don't think you could ever have Shane be the good guy just because of how it all started. But Right. Uh, we learned there are 14 zombies total inside the barn, mostly just friends and family, neighbors that they'd gone to their house to see if there's any food left, and they found their zombified neighbors, so they brought them there to keep them safe. That night, Rick has that a conversation. Another, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's no problem, no problem. I wanted to make, too, is that the people that they, uh, they have in the barn uh, in the comic, there are people that they know. I mean, like I said, his, his, uh, his son, you know, his, uh, um, you know, his family, and then his friends and neighbors. In, in the show, it's just random people that ended up in the, caught in that one you know, sand pile or whatever. Well, it was a little bit of a mix. He does mention that there's also a couple that have wandered onto the property, you know. So, but it's still kind of a mix. Uh, Rick has a conversation with Alan that night and, you know, says, you know, are you doing that okay? You know, you'll get through this, man. Don't worry. Uh, we also see Glenn and Maggie kind of sneaking away to uh, get the groove thing on. The next day, Rick comes over to talk to Herschel and kind of just, you know, apologize for his outburst the day before. He says, I didn't mean to jump on you like that. I've just been a little edgy since Carl got shot and I was way out of line. Uh, he then mentions that they're going to do some target practice, just like in the show, and he invites Herschel's kids to come along, or any, any of Herschel's family, and uh, he says that Lacey, Arnold, and I guess Maggie would probably be up for that, but he doesn't want the young ones carrying guns yet. They're a little bit too young for it. So again, a, quite a big difference between this Herschel and the Herschel of the show. Yeah, the Herschel of the show is uh, vehemently anti any of the guns. Yeah, anyone, I mean, he, not just for he, the kids. He, he still relents eventually, but, you know, it's begrudgingly. Uh, again, Andrea tries to talk to, to Alan and try to talk to him and make him lighten up and kind of deal with things, and he again tells her to leave him alone. Uh, Rick has a conversation with Tyrese and Carol where he mentions that Sophia's in there with Carl, and he says, I swear, a few more years and we're going to have to keep an eye on those two. They're getting along a little too well for their age. Yeah, that's Which I thought funny. Was, I thought it was funny, but again, something we'll never see in the show, at least not with that particular character. No. So on the next page, the group is at their target practice. Glenn is helping Maggie fire the gun, and they all have some fun shooting at cans. 
And then Herschel runs up and says, stop shooting right now. The direction you're shooting is towards the Thompson house, and you're going to be shooting right through their house. And then when they eventually come back, their house is going to be destroyed, and I can't allow that. So he's basically got no clue. Yeah. <laughs> it's very delusional. And then a zombie in shorts, a Hawaiian shirt, and flip-flops comes walking up towards the fence. I just want to say that that's how all the zombies look in Dead Island. Yeah, pretty much. And this one does not have a left arm. He, and he it looks like he has several bullet holes in the chest. So clearly someone did not learn that you have to shoot him in the head. Uh, so Rick is going to shoot him, and, and uh, Herschel says, I can't let you do that. We're going to put him into the barn just like the others. And instead of using the kind of uh, stray dog handling wires on the end of a stick, Herschel puts on some gloves, and he grabs this one by the head and by the shoulder, and he manhandles it over to the barn. I love that one panel of uh, Herschel holding him, and you just get a gub out of the zombie. <laughs> so he brings it over to the to the barn. He flips open the latch, and there's a zombie right there at the door that kind of pushes it open. He gets knocked back. And uh, he falls on his back, and there are all the zombies who come towards him. And I'm a little unclear why, but it looks like Arnold and somebody else are up in the loft of the barn at the same moment, and they yell down. I'm a little confused as to the logistics of this. But regardless... Well, that's where Patricia fed them from, from the show. Maybe that's what they were in the middle of doing. Maybe, but it was just a little weird. Like, why are they in there? <laughs> I didn't understand what was happening. Uh, but so Arnold, the one with the ponytail, jumps down to help his dad. And uh, he, he butts one of the zombies out of the way, but another one grabs him and bites him right across the neck. Some of the group heads for the house to stay safe while the others come to attack the zombies. And uh, Herschel's trying to reason with zombie Sean inside. He says, he's your brother, Sean. Don't do this. You've got to remember. Uh, the zombies also grab, I guess uh, this is Lacey, the older daughter, and they rip her to shreds. And eventually Herschel finally grabs a gun and he shoots one, says, I'm sorry, Sean probably Sean of the Dead reference, shoots another, says, I'm sorry, Arnold. And then he just finally tells the whole group, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and he puts a gun to his head, and only after Rick kind of swipes the gun away does he stop contemplating suicide immediately. I love the one panel of, like, the four zombies. It's an overhead shot eating uh, Lacey, I guess it is. It reminds me of that shot with the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the next page, they're having a funeral for Sean, Lacey, and Arnold, although I guess Sean was already more dead. But Herschel, with tears in his eyes, looks at Rick and says, you were right. So on the last page of issue 11, uh, Chris and Julie come over to Tyrese and say, hey, Dad, Mr. Grimes never took our guns back after target practice, and we didn't want you to get mad at us for still having them, so we're giving them to you. And Tyrese says, look, you know what? Just hold on to them. You'll be safer with them, and I don't want you to see them out unless it's an emergency. Keep them holstered at all times. And so they say, okay, they walk away. And Chris says to Julie, finally, I thought the bastard would never let us have the guns. It's going to be so much easier now. And she says, yes, we'll, we'll do it as soon as the time is right. I love you, Chris. And he says, I love you too. So the plot thickens with him. Yeah, I, I sort of remember like the first reference they make to these two wanting to do something. I guess because Tyrese comes in and they're having sex or about to, I should say, that I thought Chris was just being a jerk and was talking about doing it, meaning uh, wanting to do it with her. But clearly, uh, there's something else going right. on. Right, and this is the this was kind of like the aha moment, like, uh oh, you know, what do these guns have to do with it? So it is very uh, an interesting little again end of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> and issue twelve, the final issue we'll be going over tonight, opens with uh, Rick and Lori and Carl waking up, 
And Carl starts to talk, but she immediately encounters some morning sickness, and she runs for the bathroom, to which Carl says, Mom throwing up again? Rick says yes, and he says, oh. We then cut to Maggie's room, where Maggie and uh, Glenn are snuggled away in bed, when Hersha opens the door and quickly freaks out and starts yelling at them. And Maggie says she was just upset about Lacey. She's never slept alone in the room before. She needed someone to keep her company. And that she loves him. And that she's 19, so she's three years younger than in the show. And Herschel wears long johns. Just a fun <laughs> fact. I could see something like this happening before the TV show group leaves the farm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we don't have to see uh, that actor in long johns, though. Yeah. So a lot of the rest of the group is out in the barn, and they, uh, they're cleaning it up, kind of cleaning it from some of the zombie filth, when they decide, you know what? This isn't going to work. Rick says, damn it, this is stupid. We're cleaning this place up so we can live in it. We're going to live in a barn for the rest of our lives. And he says, I'm going to find Herschel. So he goes to Herschel, who is brushing a horse. And he says, Herschel, you got a minute. Look, I know it's not the best time to bring this up with what happened yesterday, but you've got more room in the house now. We're not going to sleep in the barn forever. It's pointless. Why don't you let us in the house? There's plenty of extra room. And Herschel says, absolutely not. You're welcome here while your boy heals. When he's done, you go. You're not moving in here. You're not taking my son's room. No. So this is kind of how it ended up. They started this way on the TV show with Herschel, and in, in here it's kind of the result of how things went bad. Right. This was Herschel's attitude right off the bat on the television show, but <laughs> he seemed to be more, this Herschel seemed to be more receptive early on, and now he's just, you know, damaged and traumatized and everything else. Right. So Tyrese and Carol are talking, and they talk about how, you know, things are actually looking a little bit up, and, sh- and, uh, and Carol says, yeah, knock on wood or something. I'm serious. You never know what's going to happen next. And in the background, we can see uh, Chris and Julie both packing pistols. Yeah, it got creepy at that point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be clear, for people who aren't looking at the panels, they're not, like, holding them out or something. They're they're tucked into holsters. But still, it, it's a creepy-looking panel. Especially the way they're shaded to both be hiding kind of in the shadows away from uh, Tyrese and Carol. Right. So and then on the next page, Lori gets on the mix, and she goes over to yell at Herschel. You know, what do you mean you're going to throw us out of here? How does that work? How is that going to help anybody? This is stupid. And uh, he moves his hand to slap her. And uh, Rick jumps in and says, that is enough. And Herschel finally blows up and he says, look, I lost three kids yesterday, you stupid bitch. Three. Today I find one of you effing my daughter. Then your husband is asking me to take my kids' rooms and give them to you guys. And now you're on my ass because I won't let you freeloaders eat all my damn food and fill my house. Where the hell did you get off? This is my effing house. I have a family to look after. I don't owe you anything. Although he doesn't say anything. Right. <laughs> Again, self-censoring. So it's clearly not going anywhere. And finally, Herschel grabs a gun. He puts it to Rick's head and he says, I want you out of here right now. And Otis grabs his arm and pulls the gun away. But it's very clear it's not going to work out. And Rick says, finally, fine, we'll leave. We're leaving. And we can see in the background... Not only is Carl watching, but he has his pistol out and at the ready. He was ready to act if he had to. And that is the Clint Eastwood, Carl. <laughs> yeah. he's He's got the sheriff's hat. He's got kind of a poncho-type jacket. He's got a, a bandana around his neck. He's ready for some uh, trouble. We compared that to... Yeah, is it is it good, the bad, and the ugly? Is that the one that the shot is, like, right out of, Jim? Do you remember? We compared it at one point. Yeah, he's definitely uh, dressed as the man with no name. Uh, from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and from uh, High Plains Drifter as well. Same character. 
So a little bit later, Otis goes to talk to Herschel and finds Herschel kind of in a fetal position on the floor. And Herschel says, I think I've lost my mind. I almost pulled the trigger. I almost killed a man. Uh, we cut back to the group who's leaving, and they're getting ready to pack into the RV. And Glenn tells Rick, I'm not going. I'm in love with Maggie, or at least as close as I'm ever going to be able to get, and I'm staying with her. Rick says he understands. He wants them to be happy. So the rest of the group piles into the RV. They hit the road, and we find out that they are very low on food, again, of course. Now, when they are, eventually do leave Herschel's farm in the TV show, do you think Glenn will leave with them? I think they cut out the middle section and have Maggie leave with Glenn. Yeah, probably. Uh, so that night, they're sitting around the campfire eating, but there's not a whole lot of food left, and we hear from Sophia that she's still hungry. Uh, then we have several you know, silent panels of them hunting, foraging in you know, old general stores, killing zombies, but they have apparently found nothing more they can eat. They're out of gas. They haven't seen any stranded cars in a while. Things are looking really bad. They start hiking through the woods a little bit. Uh, Dale and Andrew do anyway. They climb up kind of the side of a pretty steep mountain, and uh, then they run back to tell the group that they that they found something, and uh, they're quite impressed with it. So they run back. They honk the horn. The rest of the group comes back, and we see on the final few pages of Volume Two of, of Issue Twelve the next big spoiler. <laughs> yes, this is the next big spoiler. This is the prison. You've probably heard us mention it before, but yes, they found a giant, oh, what, this has got to be, what, 20 square acres at least, if not 30 or 40, a giant prison. One of the rare uses of double-page spreads in, in The Walking Dead. Yes, very rare. Uh, and there's zombies all around, but they say, hey, it may not be safe now, but look at that fence. It could be made to be safe. That place has beds, supplies, clothes, even some food. It has to. So they're going to secure it. And on the final page of the volume, Rick says, it's perfect. We're home. And so ends volume two of The Walking Dead. I love the double page spread because it gives you the scope and the, you know, it, it really gets your wheels turning. Like, man, they have towers to be up in. They can see for miles on either side of this thing. You know, they have triple barbed wire fences and. Basketball courts. Yeah, it's, it's it's plenty of room and housing units, and obviously it's going to be secure. And, you know, before this, uh, before they came across this in the comic, I would never have thought this, but the prison, I mean, inside of a prison would be a perfect place to, you know, survive the zombie apocalypse. You know, I never thought of that before seeing this uh, comic, but it would be. I mean, I even made, it made me change my own personal zombie apocalypse plan after after reading this. <laughs> nice. So, any uh, any final thoughts on Volume 2 and, and how it relates to the, the Walking Dead TV show so far? It actually is a lot more like the show than I thought after rereading. They may have tinkered with when things happen, but a lot of the same, you know, things happen. That's true, and a lot of the characters are very the same uh, in a lot of the uh, meaningful ways. Superficially, they might be different, but in a lot of the ways that matter, they seem a lot the same. And a lot more, like John said, than I thought before I went back to uh, to reread. And as for the story, I, I think it's good. I think it's very solid. But being at the prison, I think, is when it really kicked in for me as a reader. Uh, I, I think I'll agree with you there. Yeah. The, volumes 3, 4, 5, 6, that's where things really start to get. I don't want to say they start to get good, but where they really start to get to the points where... You know, the, the, the points where you talk about for years to come, where, oh, did you get to this issue yet? Did you see where that happened? All those things happen 
kind of starting in the next few volumes. Right. I mean, it's been, yeah, there's definitely been some surprises so far, but it's been pretty straightforward. You know, every once in a while a zombie will come out and bite somebody that you weren't expecting, but it's been pretty straightforward. Now in the prison, it gets crazy. So if we don't have anything else, I think it's time to close out the show. We hope you enjoyed episode 172 of the Legion of Dudes. Uh, you can send us a voicemail at 516-468-7912 or send us an email, uh, comments at legionofdudes.com. You can check out Half Hour Weekly on Mondays. You can check out walkingdeadtv.com, if that's not where you already found this, to check out coverage of both the TV show and the comic. Check out Out Now with Aaron and Abe, our brand new weekly release movie show, and of course our less regular shows like Media Minutes and Tech Dudes, all at hhwlod.com. There's Facebook groups for all those shows as well, and you can follow us on Twitter, at LODTweet, at WDTVPodcast, and at HHWLOD underscore network. Have a good week. Take care.